Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, I have with me uh, Liz Waitekas um, from Docomo US. Is that, did I say that right? Docomomo. Docomomo. Okay. So um, thank you for joining me today. Uh, Tell me about your background. Um, Sure. Great. Uh, Thanks, Danielle, so much for having me on the podcast today. Um, So I have been the executive director at Docomomo US for Uh, roughly the past 12 years. Um, I am the first executive director, the first full-time staff person. um, And it was really, you know, uh, the interest in modernism and the need to preserve that heritage really was, uh, you know, front and center um, about 10, 15 years ago. Um, And I think we've made good progress. Um, uh, My background, uh, I... Um, I actually have an undergraduate degree in, in music. Um, I was planning on getting my master's in architecture um, and I, uh, I went to Pratt for historic preservation. Um, and it was interesting um, going through a preservation program um, in that I, I grew up in Albany, New York. I went to undergraduate in New Haven, Connecticut. And I was kind of always surrounded by great architecture, but great architecture from, you know, the 19th and the 20th century. So for me, you know, something like uh, the Empire State Plaza or what we call the mall in Albany, um, you know, this big uh, Brasilia on the Hudson by Wallace Harrison from 1976 was um, just as amazing architecture as, you know, the older mills and uh, some of the the earlier style of houses where I grew up. So being in preservation school, I loved all of it. And I think I was more attracted to 20th century where um, my peers were, you know, really focused on the the older stock. Um, And some of them didn't didn't, we're, even at that time, we're not uh, super enthusiastic about modernism. Um, Dokomomo was really the, the perfect place for me. Yeah, the, um, I think it's hard for people, and I think and we'll probably talk about this, but I think it's hard for people to like, especially um, if, 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 if it's something that you saw being built in your lifetime or in the recent past, 
it's kind of harder to connect a, a, a historic value to that. Um, but if you if you let it if you let it uh, survive for you know another hundred years, it definitely will you know be be somebody else will see value in. Right, right. Yeah, no, I definitely realized that with the mall in Albany, there are definitely still people who remember that entire community that was displaced. You know, they used eminent domain. Um, and those conversations uh, still exist, you know, with, with, with modern places and, and displaced communities. Um, and I, Giacomo was really working to have um, fuller conversations about um, architectural history and the, the cultural and the social history that, you know, the, the negative baggage uh, that comes with that. Um, right. We really need to be looking at all aspects of, um, of what we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I know that I am guilty of that too. Not, not buildings that I would necessarily consider are, you know, have, have historic value because they're, you know, very modern, you know, not, not well-built buildings. But it makes me irritated when they tear down an older building to build something that's not going to last. So then I try not to shop there. <laughs> So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so what, what brought you into preservation? Well, um, when I was in high school, um, I grew up in a, a, a small city. Um, it was a mill town. I grew up on our main street. And uh, when I was in high school, the business improvement district had a, um, uh, a competition, an essay comp contest of how to reinvigorate business uh, on our main street. And I wrote the winning essay um, uh, that we should uh, restore our movie theater. Mm -hmm. I lived next to um, uh, uh, John Eberly um, uh, Art Deco movie theater. I lived next to it. It was closed essentially my entire life, abandoned. Um, I think it was probably open when I was a, a child, but I, I wouldn't remember that. And all I wanted as, as a teenager was to be able to go to the movies, right? you know, right next to my house. And so I wrote this essay. I loved that building and I won. Um, and I really think that was the root of, um, you know, how I got into preservation is I lived in this old mill town um, with uh, gorgeous, uh, architectural stock, um, most of it was abandoned. Um, I was an only child. Um, this was before, you know, the internet and cell phones and all these distractions. And I was an urban explorer. Um, and I, I really, they were my friends. And I, I just, I really enjoyed discovering uh, architecture like that when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I, um... I, I don't think that most people pay attention to the architecture around them, but um, you know, you can tell the people that do. I, I, I walk around looking up and my, my friend says to me, don't you ever not work? So. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, being a New Yorker and looking up is, you know, people frown upon that. Like you look like a tourist and yeah. I'm like, how can you just, how can you not? I mean, right. even, even these, horrible skinny uh, uh, skyscrapers that they're building uh, on 57, 58th street. Um, 
you, uh, you can't help but look up. Uh, I do it all the time. I embarrass my friends. What can you do? <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me, tell me about the organization that you're the executive director. And I'll try it again. Is it Docomomo? Docomomo. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. Just good. rolls right off the tongue. Um, so Jokomomo is actually an international organization. It's set up somewhat like the United Nations. Um, it was founded in the Netherlands in 1985, um, really because there was a, a tuberculosis sanatorium called Zonestral um, that was abandoned. And um, a couple of architects were looking at it saying, um, this is significant, um, it needs to be restored. Um, and from that, they just started meeting with their peers, um, primarily in Europe. And then um, Jokomomo US was um, sort of started probably around 90 or 91. We were not incorporated until 1995. Okay. Um, but uh, so Jokomomo US is one of uh, 70 uh, nation chapters all over the world. Um, we have peers in Ukraine that I have been in touch with. We have peers in Russia, uh, Brazil, uh, Japan, Canada. Um, you know, uh, it's just a, it's an incredible network of people. Um, and I think uh, more than anything, that's what, um, it's really a, just attractive is that you're not just living in this little bubble is that you have you know, direct peers all across the world that you can, you know, reach out to and they can support you and you can support them. Um, if you're traveling somewhere, and, you know, you can call up someone in Jokomomo, India and say, hey, can you, you know, show me around, um, which is great. Jokomomo US um, has regional chapters. Um, uh, we just added Jokomomo, Wisconsin. I'm I'm trying to remember, I think we have 17 chapters or 19 chapters that we, we, we tend to grow in, in spurts. There'll be a couple of years where we don't have a chapter and then there uh, is a lot of interest. Um, during the pandemic, I think people, you know, had a little extra time on their hands. I don't know how, cause <laughs> I feel like I'm just more busy, uh, but we started uh, Dokomomo, Wisconsin um, just took shape um, and we added uh, uh, a friend organization called uh, Form Follows Function, um, which is in Cincinnati. Um, so if someone has a preservation organization that already exists in the United States, and you would like to become essentially a chapter or an affiliate of Docomomo, um, we call them a friend organization. And with that, they're essentially the extension of Docomomo in that community. We wouldn't start another chapter there. And um, you can start uh, just, you know, receiving some of those benefits of being connected to the community. Very good. Um, so I, I, the reason that um, Nora had reached out to is because I had seen the article about the um, Geller House. Um, and so tell, tell me about that. Tell, tell, tell me the story. So the story of the Geller House, um, I received uh, an email from a board member who had received an email from a professor uh, at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and apparently that professor had run into a student um, who was from Lawrence 
uh, New York on Long Island. So if you're not familiar with where Lawrence is, I mean, you can picture Long Island. You know, we're talking about a community right on the border of Queens. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, you know, all the way out on the shore. Um, and so apparently the student had uh, done uh, documentation of the house um, because he was of the understanding that the owners wanted to demolish it. Um, and that got back to me. Um, and so I just started making phone calls. I called uh, Preservation Long Island. Um, they were my first call to find out if this was on their radar. Um, and, you know, it wasn't. Um, you know, I started doing some research to understand, okay, you know, this was, uh, uh, you know, one of two types of uh, Breuer houses. And, you know, I had seen this H plan, uh, they call it a binuclear. Um, I, I had seen this type of house of his um, a, a number of times. Um, from the look of it, the house was not in great shape. Um, but it was all still there. So, you know, it was kind of hard to assess, you know, how significant is this house? Right. I called the city um, and asked them uh, if it had a demolition permit. I got a lot of strange answers, you know, no answers. <laughs> uh, and, you know, then I, you know, we started, I started to bring more people into the conversation and then what we realized um, and really, you know, digging into the Breuer archive in Syracuse, um, uh, Carolyn Zaleski, who has written a book, Long Island Modernism, had profiled the house in her book. This was, um, you know, Breuer's really first house um, uh, of the binuclear um, design. Um, as he's leaving his partnership with Gropius. So he meets Bert Geller. Uh, Bert Geller is, um, and he was auditing a Breuer class um, at, at Harvard. Um, and Bert Geller says, you know, me and my wife, we, you know, we have this plot of land. Um, we'd really love for you to design a house for us. Um, so this is the first time, you know, Breuer ventures out, you know, within the span of time of beginning construction and completion. Um, Breuer moves his office uh, to New York. And then, um, you know, the house is finished and it's picked up in all of this architectural press. You know, this is, you know, obviously before the internet, you know, this right. is how word of mouth spreads. And um, two years later, uh, the Museum of Modern Art asks Breuer to design house, the house and the garden. So it's sort of a, a smaller take on, um, on a, a very similar type of house. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, I mean, Breuer just, you know, blew up after that. I mean, from all of these residential houses, uh, you know, moving on to uh, you know, the civic and institutional um, structures, the um, UNESCO World Headquarters in Paris, um, all of that comes afterwards. And so if you think about this little house, you know, this is, this is his transition. Right. This is the moment in which people, you know, see Breuer uh, or, you know, the general public know someone 
um, who's doing this cutting edge uh, residential design, you know, it's post-war, uh, post-war, um, you know, Breuer was really, I think, within the design community seen as a furniture designer. Mm-hmm. And even still, I think there are a lot of people that look at his residential houses and say, uh, the houses were like pieces of furniture. You know, they're all of the details are very sculptural. Right. Um, but this little house, um, you know, even in a modified state was, you know, really just such a, an important pivot point for Breuer. And, you know, that was the moment in which, you know, we created this bigger coalition. Um, the, the town of Lawrence or the village of Lawrence um, did not have a preservation ordinance. Um, so there was no protection on it. Right. Um, it was uh, deemed eligible for the National Register of Historic Places um, in a historic district. Um, the village of Lawrence is also within uh, a larger community of Hempstead, and Hempstead does have a preservation ordinance. Um, but it's sort of complicated in this area of, you know, Hempstead is the larger city, um, but it only maintains jurisdiction um, in areas that are not incorporated and certain sections of Lawrence are incorporated and, and where this house was, was incorporated. So any sort of local designation through Hempstead would be sort of honorary, you know, not that much different from the National Register. Right. We really took that information and we were, um, so I uh, immediately wrote uh, an application for local designation to Hempstead um, and went back to Lawrence and said, listen, <laughs> you haven't given them a demolition permit yet. Their, their plans for the site are not to build another house. So the, the owners had bought two lots, um. combining them, putting a new house, on the other lot, and then the lot where Geller was, frustratingly, the plan was to build a tennis court and a tea house. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, you know, really tried to um, condense this information, you know, and, and tell the local officials, I think the gentleman who was in charge of, um, you know, the buildings department, he really felt like he had done his due diligence. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't aware that the building was eligible because um, it wasn't officially on it. Right. Whatever he was looking at, um, you know, he probably just didn't understand that those two things, right. you know, essentially mean the same thing. And he was, I think he was a bit embarrassed. And I said, you know, and I kept saying to him, I, I understand. Um, and I can understand even looking at the house that you, um, it would be challenging just to look at the house and think it was this significant, but, uh, people are really going to care. Yeah. And um, all we're really asking for is a little more time um, to avoid, you know, giving them the demolition permit um, so that we can negotiate, um, you know, moving the house. I mean, anything other than demolition. Um, And I think the week between Christmas and New Year's, I finally got the courage to call the owners. Um, and 
I had a pleasant phone call with the wife who said um, she, she called the Geller house a masterpiece, which I don't think she knew what I knew that it was actually a masterpiece. Right. She was maybe being a bit ironic to me, but um, they did say that they had no plans to tear the house down, um, that they were going to let their grown children um, live in it while they were building the other house, um, that it would be a number of years before they did anything. And they, you know, I, I, I just, you know, said to them, Jokomomo has this great network of architects you know, please let us help you. Right. You can't call someone and say, you know, someone who owns private property, I'm going to tell you what you can and can't do with your Right, property. you have to kind of appeal to them. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, I want to help you. Please let right. me help you. Um, what you have is valuable, more valuable than I think you understand. And, um, you know, she took that information away. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say that I felt better, um, but, you know, when you have an owner say, we're not going to do anything with right. it for a couple of years, yeah. you want to believe someone. Um, a few days later, I drove out there um, and uh, took a look at the house. Um, and it was, uh, you know, the, the other house um, next door that, uh, they had already demolished. The house was still standing, took some pictures. Um, there is a, what we call Geller 2, um, just sort of around the corner. And I drove and saw that house. You know, when you're driving around this community, I'm sure it's very similar to any, you know, bedroom community outside a major metropolitan right. city. All these older, you know, stock houses are all being torn down. That whole community there, you know, driving from Geller 1 to Geller 2, my heart sank. Um, I knocked on the door of Geller 2 Mm -hmm. and um, the woman who answered um, said to me, no, I couldn't walk around the house and the house had been Geller 2 now. So this is the, the, the concrete vault. Right. Um, I believe it's, it's from uh, the 70s, late 60s, 70s. Um, and then the house had been sold. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just taking a look around um, made, yeah. me, made me, um, you know, really fearful. Um, although I will say that, that I do know the new owner of Geller 2. Um, and he has uh, told me unequivocally that um, he loves the house. He has no plans to demolish the house, um, that he, they are gonna build another house on that lot. Sort of Geller two is set back from the road. There's another whole lot in front of it. land in front of it. Um, they're gonna build another house on there. And that once he takes ownership that Dokomomo will be able to uh, go out and visit, um, bring people with us to be able to see that house. And um, I want to believe him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't be nervous. Nervous. yeah. Yeah. But I, I do want to believe him. And he, he at least expressed to me that he understood the financial value of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, I know land has become more valuable 
but this, you know, this house is, I, yeah, I mean, it, it looks like a concrete Swiss chalet. <laughs> That's kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, you know, it's strange. Yeah. But it's strange. And, you know, for those of us who love mid-century architecture, it's strange in the most amazing way. <laughs> That's, that's fun. Um, so, well, so you, the, the local, the local historic districts, I guess the, this, this house and this property kind of fell through the cracks in, in, in protection because the, the municipality wouldn't really protect it. The, the village and the, the home, the homeowner obviously, obviously wasn't, wasn't willing to, to protect it. Um, so, did you, I mean, I, I'm assuming being a preservation professional, you were aware of, you know, some of this like patchworky nature of, of local preservation. Um, are, did, did you learn anything specifically related to this project? About, about just, the, like just how the need for local protection, I guess would be, yeah. Well, I mean, for an organization like Docomomo, you know, typically our work is um, grounded in protecting uh, publicly accessible large scale projects. Um, we, we don't necessarily spend a lot of time uh, advocating for individual houses. Um, although we give great house tours um, and certainly when houses are for sale, um, a number of our chapters give these great tours. Um, our Minnesota chapter calls it going, going, gone. Mm -hmm. um, when they, uh, they partner with realtors. So when that realtor has a mid-century property that's for sale, that uh, they will partner with uh, Docomomo to give a house tour. So it's, it's part, you know, uh, voyeurism, you know, we all love, I do, um, before the pandemic when you would just go and look at other people's houses. Um, but, you know, hopefully it drums up stewards yeah. for these places, people who understand the architecture and can appreciate it. Um, you know, a lot of mid-century architecture is underbuilt for the lot. Mm -hmm. um, and, and someone not knowing what they have could just say, well, you know, I need five bedrooms and, you know, six and a half bathrooms, whatever it may be, um, sort of bizarre to someone like me who lives in New York city with right. you know, my one bedroom and my tiny bathroom. Um, so I think that was that was what I, I, I learned um, in this process was how endangered um, and how very little protection there actually is for individual homes in the United States. The National Register um, does provide some protection for um, buildings that are, that are on it, but um, only sites that, uh, have uh, you know government money or you know if the government is looking at uh, environmental concerns and that would be the only reason why uh, it would be protected by the right. government yeah and and that's um, I, I know in in Lancaster County oftentimes we'll see if they call it historic resource so they'll they'll say you know you need to take into account on your in your land development plan a historic resource and they'll say, 
eligible for the National Register on the National Register or in the um, Historic Trust Survey. And that still doesn't guarantee that it's going to be, be protected, but it does give another level of, of review before, before anything is, is allowed to happen. Right. And, and I think that sometimes that delay helps and, you know, um, because it does give people time to kind of think about what they're, what they're doing and give time, the public time to, to, to also give their opinion. Cause I think that that does persuade some, some municipal officials. Yeah, absolutely. De- delay is, um, you know, sometimes that's the best we can get. Yeah. Um, in terms of preservation and, and really what we were trying to do with Geller was, uh, to not upset the owners, um, oh, yeah. continue down the path with. Yeah, you were uh, trying to work together. Yeah. yeah, 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 and that that's that's really it's really hard when you feel like you're working with somebody, but then you you know the, the, they're not really working with you. <laughs> yeah. So um, um, so talk to me. I guess we've talked a little bit about local preservation through through municipalities. I know in the article that I read, um, you talked about or or the, I don't. Did you write the article? I, no, I'm, there was, was a written. Yeah, there you. there was a follow up article. The uh, initial there were a number of initial articles, and then I wrote an op ed in uh, Dazine. Um, yes, I think that's yeah. that's the article that I'm referring to. Yeah, then talking. <laughs> Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, and it talked about surveys as a tool to identify important sites. So I just kind of wanted you to talk about that a little bit, because I mentioned that as like one of the historic resource tools, too. Yeah, I mean, surveys are, you know, the bread and butter of, you know, how we know what's out there. Um, and then um, being able to translate that information, you know, back to, you know, municipalities and preservation organizations. Uh, certainly a lot of the older building stock has been surveyed, but we really do need to um, be looking at, um, I mean, mid-century, yes, but we need to be looking at 70s and 80s. Last night I participated in a, a discussion in Houston about 70s architecture, talking about uh, 1970s residential communities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the 1970s are turning 50 years old, so right. they're becoming eligible for the National Register. Um, yeah, it was interesting to me that, um, uh, you know, why there, there was a survey done in Long Island um, that included the Geller House. Um, and it was done um, because of the creation of the, um, the National Preservation Act in 1966, uh, that the federal government uh, provided funding um, through these newly created state historic preservation offices um, to, to do survey work. Um, I, I'm not aware that that money exists anymore to, you know. Yeah, uh, I'm not either. Although I did, um, I was speaking to a local municipal fee, uh, official and he was telling me there's so much money coming into the local governments for the COVID relief. And that that would that some of that would actually be eligible under that. That if 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 local preservation organizations wanted to to try to um, get them get them to you know put some money aside for surveys, it would be eligible under that. Um, that would be great. Yeah. So one of the examples um, that we were talking about last night in Houston is um, there were there was a uh, an initiative called Uncommon Modern. 
um, where a group of individuals, um, not necessarily a preservation organization, got together and they, they wanted to look at their, um, their built fabric uh, post-World War II that um, is, is you know, more like vernacular modernism. Right. So gas stations, diners, um, you know, single uh, uh, businesses that were built post-World War II. Um, they took a map, they divvied it up, and they handed it to people and said, just go drive around and take pictures of things that you think are interesting. You know, write down the address. Um, and then they, they compiled, they looked at that information. Um, you know, don't worry. They told people, don't worry about getting, you know, a gorgeous shot. Just get a picture of it so right. that we can, you know, understand, uh, you know, to look at everything. They, they you know, put things into categories. And then they, they created this program in an exhibition called Uncommon Modern, where they took the highlights from that survey um, and did an exhibition. So it wasn't your, you know, expensive formal survey. Right. But I think, you know, that there's value in activating local people to be, look, you know, who understand what it means to look at the built environment look at things that they haven't looked at before and help the, you know, the, just the general public mm -hmm. look at this because you and I understand. Right. Um, and, you know, we can wrap our brains around, you know, somebody was teasing me last night that, that I was going to be saving. The next thing I was going to do is be saving postmodernism, <laughs> um, which I wouldn't want to do 10 years ago, but, you and I as preservationists can wrap our brains around that, right? right? Yeah. Uh, as we as we move down the road, you know, is it significant? Do we like the aesthetic? Maybe not today, but maybe tomorrow we'll, you know, we'll get there. But really what we need to be doing is um, getting the public um, to see things through our eyes so that when someone buys one of these houses like Geller, they, you know, that they have the eyes, that, that, that they have some uh, uh, knowledge that they can pull from to say, um, this is, this, you know, this, this, is, this may be historic. It may not be on a historic district. Um, and maybe I should ask someone before I make my plans to turn this land into a tennis court. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and I, I, I definitely agree with that, that a lot of what we do, I feel like is education, because people just look at a building and think it's old and don't think it has value. And, and, you know, I, I the podcast I recorded last week, um, I was talking to someone who wasn't a preservationist. And I said, you know, he was asking me kind of my philosophy. And I said, well, you know, I really stewardship is my philosophy. And I know that that gets into like, you know, property rights and, you know, and, and those things I said, but, you know, I feel like when you, when you buy an older home, you have more of a responsibility than just a property purchase. Like you, you need to be a steward to that property because it should continue. It should continue on past your, your ownership. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah. that, yeah, but, um, I, um, yeah, and I think that most people, a very common misconception is most people think that if it's on the National Register, it's, it's protected, you know, that there's organizations that can come in and stop things. 
like, you know, like your organization and, and they're really that you just, you, all you can do is try to get people on your side and to agree with you. But I, I don't like to tell people that, you know, you don't have that much power um, because, you know, I also want some people to think twice because they think that the preservationists can come in and stop them. <laughs> right. Well, but who wants to be shamed in the New York times? Right. right? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to do that to anyone. Yeah. It was horrifying. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm, I am, I am trying to save you from that. Like, yes. yeah. you know, you, you didn't realize this house was significant. Fine. Yeah. Maybe that's on me. Maybe but, that's on us that yeah. we haven't educated you. Yeah. But now we can move forward and we can, we can, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. So do you have ideas about how someone can help their municipality make preservation a priority? Uh, well, I think the first thing um, that, um, anyone listening to this podcast really should do is look to see if their community has a preservation ordinance. Um, there are tools um, provided by the National Park Service um, and a number of uh, state preservation organizations have tools um, to help uh, local municipalities consider a local preservation ordinances. I don't think you need to be a land use lawyer to make that recommendation, you know, to, to go to your city council meeting um, and, uh, and make that recommendation. If, your if you cherish your house, so I had someone who owns an Ulrich Franzen house in Westchester County come to me after Geller, mm -hmm. after the Geller demolition. And he said, he's an architect. He's restored this Ulrich Franzen house. And he said, Liz, what do I do? You know, I, 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 I love my house. And I, I, you know, I don't want anything to happen to it. And there may be a point in which, you know, I don't own it anymore or, you know, it's given to my children and I want to feel that I've done as much as I can to, you know, to encourage the next owners to be great stewards. And I said, you need to, you know, go to your local municipality um, and, and stand up and say, um, we've got to get this done. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, my, I would like my house to be protected. I'm sure that there are others, um, and really try to start that process. Um, I, I agree. I, I think that that's, and, and, um, I think that that's the one thing that people can do. Cause if you're in a historic district, you, there's protections there. If you, you know, if you, um, if you have some of the other, you know, the mostly municipal protections, those those help you. But yeah, if, if there's nothing, I mean, there's there we have 60, 60 some um, uh, municipalities inside Lancaster County, and some of them don't even have demolition review process. Like there, you know, some of them some of them have you know bits and pieces of it. But you know, if you don't even have a demolition review somebody could come in and tear down anything and, and there's nothing that will stop them. So I, I definitely agree that pe people need to realize that preservation is local. It is, yeah. it is. The, the best protections for historic sites is local designation. Yeah. And, if, and you know, it was um, in that Dezine article, I did some research to find out um, how many municipalities in New York state had, uh, you know, preservation ordinances and um, I'm not looking at the article in front of me, yeah. but it was, it, was, it was very, very small. It was like 25% of all municipalities in, in New York state um, have any types of protections. And that, that is where, I mean, 
that's where it's at in terms of protecting things. And I think anyone can go to a community board meeting and say, um, this is, this should be a priority in our community and, um, and just keep going to those and meetings. A, yeah. And, a, and electing people that, that is, that that's their priority also. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what trends or challenges do you see in, in preservation as a whole or, you know, in relation to this, you can, you can take that however you want. <laughs> Um, well, Jokomomo is always looking at, um, sites that are on our radar. Um, I think houses have always been on our radar, but, um, this is a new focus for us mm -hmm. of, um, you know, in, uh, empowering people, um, you know, having great stewards is really, you know, you said the word steward already. I mean, that's uh, really how um, the best plan for houses is having someone who owns it, who knows it and loves it. Yeah. Um, so houses certainly this year. So every year, Dokomomo has um, an annual theme. So we take that theme throughout the year. All of our chapters um, use that theme. In 2020, the theme was uh, the 70s turn 50. <laughs> um, sort of the year that wasn't, but uh, in terms of the pandemic, but the 70s will just continue to turn 50 right. yeah. for the whole decade. So we're still talking about 70s architecture. Um, for 2022, our theme is shopping malls. Mm. Um, you know, shopping malls are all over the country. Uh, you know, they are many of them being abandoned being reused in all sorts of different ways. Um, I don't think Dokomomo is necessarily saying we need to preserve all these shopping malls. No, but they can be reused. But they can be reused. We need, and we really need the community, you know, we need the public's help um, to identify malls, um, to, to look at the details of these malls, um, which one, you know, to find out which ones are significant to understand their history, um, you know, a lot of uh, suburban malls, you know, why were suburban malls created? Because the malls in city centers became, uh, you know, dangerous. There was all this white flight right. to the suburbs. Um, so giving, you know, uh, people a, a perceived a uh, safer place to shop. Right. I mean, we need to be talking about those stories. Yeah. Um, so what Jokomomo is doing this year, so shopping malls is our theme. We're gonna be giving tours, lectures. Um, there's a great book by Alexandra Lang um, coming out, uh, it's called Meet Me by the Fountain, which I love because <laughs> my mall in Schenectady, New York, the Mohawk Mall, um, we had a great fountain. It was very <laughs> 70s. Um, that's coming out this year, but we also have this crowdsourcing, uh, aspect that we're doing this year with shopping malls. It's on our website. I think it's right up on our, our front page. So if you have a, a shopping mall in your community, whether, you know, I don't, we don't really care whether it's been deemed historic. We want you to go and take a look at it, walk around, maybe do dig, you know, some research up data construction, architects, um, you know, landscape, um, uh, and give that back to us. So we have a form on our website where you can fill that in. 
we're looking for mall stories. Um, Somebody told me this great story that there was a mall in Minnesota where you could, um, you could somehow get a message to, I think it was the Easter bunny. I don't think it was Santa Claus, but you could, you could get a message to the mall so that when you walked in, the Easter bunny would say hello with your child's name. They, they oh would greet you. And so anyway, somebody was telling me this story, you know, that, you know, that was just amazing to them as a child. Yes. Yeah. Um, how did, I think it was an Easter bunny, had the Easter bunny know their name? You know, these <laughs> yeah. are the type of, you know, I mean, you know, malls were, you know, meant for kids. They were meant for families. It was not just about shopping. It right. was about this family experience. Um, And before the, all the malls are gone or reused or demolished, whatever, um, I I think uh, we're, we're taking this year to collect as many of those stories as possible. That's, that's great. I'll make sure that we put that on our, on our uh, website. Um, So if somebody's looking for that, they can find it. Is there anything that you thought of that you wanted to share um, before we, before we kind of wrap up that, that I didn't think to ask you, or you didn't, you didn't mention while we were talking? Um, Just, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jokomomo is, is um, a big tent kind of organization. Um, We are, you know, made up of architects and preservationists, but um, we are, um, half of the people who are members of Jokomomo are really just people who love modernism. Maybe they live in a modern home. Maybe they aspire to live in a modern home. They go to Modernism Week in Palm Springs. Um, uh, you know, we, we really want all of those people. We need as many people as possible to talk about this, uh, about preservation and modernism. Um, so I really just encourage people, if, if you love um uh, Modernism, if homes like the Geller House are important to you, please become a member of Docomomo. Um, we are, every year we have a symposium. Um, this year's symposium is back in person. Um, our last symposium was in 2019. We were in Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh my goodness. Uh, which I still refer to as the symposium of my dreams. Um, Just an amazing community and built environment out there. Um, This year we're gonna be in Philadelphia, um, which is uh, an incredibly rich, uh, you know, city and surrounding uh, area. You know, we're gonna be looking at Lou Kahn, uh, Venturi, Denise Scott Brown, who um, is still with us. Um, and we are trying to find ways in which to um, include her in our programming. Um, so I would say to anyone who wants to get more um, involved and interested in what we do at Jokomomo, definitely go and look at our website. Join us in Philadelphia. It's not a hyper academic conference. We do have um, lectures, but we give all these fantastic tours. Um, and you know, we find ways of, uh, you know, helping people get there, um, through student scholarships. Um, we also, 
have dorms available at Pennsylvania, uh, uh, UPenn um, at a, a really great rate. I will say that both dorms that we've reserved um, for people to stay in, one was designed by Aero Saren and the other was designed by Richard Neutra. Oh, that's fun. So that's, you know, you can save money, you can have a good time, you can learn about architecture. Um, you're probably sharing a bathroom, but it's worth it. That, that's living in the dorm. <laughs> I guess not the not, not the new dorms. They they're 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 really working on their amenities. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, the Saarinen dorms, it's Hill House College. Um, they were recently uh, restored. Um, and, uh, you know, I haven't seen them yet. So I definitely, um, we're giving a tour of those as well. So if you don't stay in Hill House, um, there is a tour. tour. Oh, okay, very good. So, and I think you kind of shared the ways that someone could support your work. So we'll make sure we have those links on, the, on our website too. Um, and then um, how, how should listeners get in contact with you? Um, best way to get in contact with me um, is uh, to email us. Uh, I'll give you um, just the, the regular email address. We are a staff of two, um, so it will get to me. Um, our email is um, info, I-N-F-O, at docomomo, D-O-C-O-M-O-M-O, hyphen us dot org okay very good well, it'll 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 definitely make its way to me okay very good well well i'll make sure that we have that on our website too so our the podcast episodes are hosted on our website so then when we um we, we when people um listen and if they didn't get a chance to write that down they can just go right to our site and pull it up and, and be able to find you so great. thank you thank you so much for your time i i enjoyed our conversation Thank you. And I, I hope you'll join us in Philly and we can, uh, we can meet in person. That would be great. When is it? Oh, and I didn't even say when it is. It's the first <laughs> week of June. The, the second week? First week. First week. Okay. I might be able to make that work. Okay. Very good. Thank you so much. That'd be great. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.